Right, good morning, church. I have an exciting cough that has been getting better. Don't worry. Don't worry. The tests are negative. All these things we've got to share now, right? And we're hoping that God's going to take it away for the next uh, hour and a half while I preach. Amen? Some of you think I'm joking. No, um, it's a blessing to be here. Um, my name is Rob, uh, and uh, I have preached here a few times before. And um, I think I, the first time I ever was here, NDA was singing in choir. I had hair. Um, I did not have this wonderful beard. I had like an off-centered goatee. Um, and uh, we weren't wearing masks, and a light fell from the ceiling. It was intense. It was wild. I was like, whoa. It was like my first couple weeks in Texas. I was like, it goes down in Texas. <laughs> Literally. Um, and then uh, I think the last time I was here and preached was maybe maybe three years ago, right? Maybe in the month of January. And um, I was I was dating a super hot lady at the time. And um, I would tell her this week that that's when she probably fell in love with me. She then informed me I was just proud of you. There were no extra feelings watching you preach. Just proud of you. But that wonderful lady is my wife. She introduced herself. And... Uh, and uh, so she is uh, here with our wonderful son, um, who's probably heard this message before. And uh, he is seven years old in first grade at North Dallas Adventist Academy. Uh, just got honor roll, and that's as much as I'll embarrass him there. We won't go too much further, but super proud. He's also good at math. Any parents, when your kid's good at math, you're like super excited. Like literally, he's not bad at anything else either, but he could be bad at everything else. But if he's good at math, it's like, praise the Lord. Because he's almost like past my ability to t- help, you know, with homework. It's like, I don't know what's happening anymore. Um, anyway, so it's a blessing to be here. And uh, we also have one on the way, too, as well. Sorry, I was just, you gave me a microphone. Now I'm going to share, um, but not everything. And so, yeah, we have one on the way, so we're excited as well. Um, it's been a lot of hard work on me. Pregnancy is super hard on husbands. Okay, and I just want to just want to receive that and let that out there. Thank you. Um, so, no, uh, ladies... Uh, you deserve all the things, and you always have. And then, uh, man, I don't even know how the, the gifts that you have, guys could never do that. Um, we can barely change diapers, right, probably, okay? And so I'm in for it in a few number of months. Um, so anyways, for those of you who might not know me, um, I've been in Texas for six to seven years. I was at North Dallas Adventist Academy as chaplain Bible teacher for about six of those years. And then since uh, June or July, I've been in energy sales and then we're watching God lead and move in our lives and, and do different things. And so it's a big blessing to be able to speak and share, coming from someone who shared every single day, to be able to share every once in a while. It's like a super big blessing. Um, so we're just going to keep you here till like 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And I'm going to share everything that's been pent up over the last six months. Because um, you are now my Bible class. No? No? Too soon? Okay. Um, I do like to walk around. So uh, sound team, is it okay if I grab the red mic? Okay, good. I got thumbs up. Awesome. Uh, if you could take out your phones real fast, if you could all take out your phones, or if you're notes, if you take notes or different things like that, um, that's fine too. If you're old school, you brought a pen and you're going to write down every uh, wonderful piece of bread that comes from this message. Um, that would be great. But if not, take out your phones, start texting people, hop on Instagram or whatever you're trying to do while you're not listening. 
Um, also, everybody in here better be at AY because my young man here with the bow tie, he, that's a promotion right there. That's very good. Everybody better be here. And if you're not here, he's going to know. He, he, he called you all out. Okay. Um, uh, the scripture for today and kind of the center thought for the message is from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and beginning in verse 13. And I'm going to have you use those phones, so I just need you to type something out in just a second. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, this is Matthew 16, verse 13, Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14, they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus says in verse 15, he said to them, But who do you say? That I am. Who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter in verse 16 answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what I want you to write down right now is who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that God is? And as great and wonderful and all powerful as God is, who you say that He is? Who you think that he is makes all of the difference. He can be anything and everything, and he is, by the way, in case one of us missed it. But who you say that he is and who you think he is is what actually makes the difference in in your life. Because if we've got it mixed up, we're not going to experience maybe the things that we could. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, bless us as we uh, share, as we dive into your word, as we do these different things. Thank you for a place to meet, and thank you for a church that is actively doing things to be together on Sabbath and throughout the week, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. I do appreciate all the, uh, uh, before I get into an opening story, I do appreciate all the safety protocols, temperature checking, masks. This is the most sanitized pulpit I have ever preached from. I, and, and that's kind of a joke, but it's actually very true, and I do appreciate it. You know, it's a, it's a unique time that we're living in, and it's just a blessing to be at a place that, where people are, you know, we're taking everybody into consideration, and we're loving our neighbor by doing that. So I just kind of want to affirm that for you um, as well. Um, I was 22 years old, I believe. I was uh, working at Thunderbird Adventist Academy a year off in between college um, where they don't pay you very much money. They put you up in a dorm. They feed you. And for $500 a month, you work like crazy for them called task forcing. And so I was on the gymnastics team helping out there at the school as well as doing different things in the chaplain realm. And we were going on a mission trip to Dominican Republic. And uh, we had a gymnastics tour that weekend, and so about half the team left that was going on the mission trip early, and then I finished off our trip with the gymnastics team, and then I went on it, you know, to meet them in the Dominican Republic. So this involved an overnight flight from Phoenix to Miami, and then a flight from Miami on to Dominican Republic. Now, how many of you have ever been flying in a plane? You've been flying in a plane. Okay. Um, is it true, agree or disagree, that the middle seat is the worst seat on the plane? Right? Okay. Especially if you're by yourself and you now have new neighbors that you do not know. Okay? I'm also not the smallest guy, in case you haven't noticed. I'm not very tall, but the Lord made me broad, among other things. And I have always been this way. Okay? And so I'm in the middle seat. And I have neighbors, and it's like a 1 a.m. flight, and so I'm trying to sleep, right? I'm trying to sleep. 
And I'm not the guy. I know some people like this. Like, if you're familiar with, like, Pastor Cerns, he's always meeting people, taking pictures on Facebook. I met this person in the plane in the seat. And I wish I was that guy. Just to be candid with you, I'm more of a put my headphones in, fall asleep guy. And you do your thing in your little sphere, and I'm going to snore in my little sphere. And I promise I'll sit just like this, and I won't lean to the left or the right. Now, I have had experiences where people have leaned towards me, and you're just like, you know, I had a guy one time, and he's falling asleep, and he's leaning, and I'm like, I do not know you. And you're going to wake up on my shoulder, and you're not going to know me. And then he, like, jerked up and kind of looked, and I went like, you know, you don't want to cause any awkwardness, so you immediately fall asleep. You're like, okay? Anyways, so I'm on this flight. There's a lady to my left. There's someone to my right. I don't even remember who it is because the lady stole the show. So you say hi, you say hello, where you're going, whatever, and we fall asleep. I fall asleep. And I wake up sometime on the flight, and there are hands, there are hands poking underneath this general area. I don't like that. I don't know you. You don't know me. And your hands are down here in my seat. This is my seat. There's a line. You cross the line, right? And I'm also asleep. And my wife can testify, and anybody that knows me well can testify. When I wake up, it's not pretty. I jump up. I'm like, oh, what's happening? You know, like, you know, an emergency situation after I wake up is, you know, no one's going to survive, okay? And so these hands are poking underneath my rear. I don't know what the appropriate pulpit word is for that, okay? But they're poking around. And I wake up. And I kind of just keep my eyes closed for a second because I'm trying to assess the awkwardness of this current situation. And I open my eyes and I kind of look over at the lady. She is 20 to 30 years older than me. Okay? And then she pulls her hands out. <laughs> Thank you. And then she looks at me and she says, I swear I'm not trying to get fresh. And I'm like, praise the Lord. You didn't answer what you were doing, though, because you were there poking around. And she was like, I lost my ring. And I wanted to be like, honey, it's not here. It didn't somehow fall off your finger and end up underneath me. And she was like, oh, yeah. And so the flight attendant's like, sir, could you kind of get up? And I'm like, gladly, please. Take full control of the seat. She ended up not finding it there. It was on the floor somewhere else. But sometimes you, like, interact with people. You don't know me like that. You don't know me like that. Why are you doing that? You don't know me like that. And the title of the sermon today is, You Don't Know Me. You Don't Know Me. And we're going to cover two Bible stories, and we're kind of going to tell them in a different way, and then we're going to teach a little bit from there. But the title of the message is, You Don't Know Me. And I'm going to tell one story over here and one story over here, and so hopefully you can keep track of what's happening. Our stories are going to be from the book of Kings and the book of Jonah, if you want to pair along here. So you can turn over. We're going to start in Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19-ish. And I'm going to use my sanctified imagination, as Pastor Keith Gray likes to say, and you can determine if it's sanctified or not, and then you can just meet me outside after that. That was a little more intense than it probably should have been, sorry. I imagine that when he woke up from sleeping to the word from that crazy lady, his heart sank. I imagine that he didn't know what to do next. After such a great day, 
In fact, after years of confronting King Ahab like no other human had, because you couldn't confront kings like that back in the day, after years of being on the run and fed by birds and random ladies, I imagine he was tired. After years of Ahab looking at every kingdom and every nation to try to find him, Elijah was tired. I imagine he was even more tired after the previous day's events. Watching God rain down fire from heaven. Watching the nation say, we're going to turn back to God after serving Baal for who knows how many years. After running a rainy marathon leading Ahab back to the palace. I imagine that when he went to sleep finally that night, whenever it was, I imagine he had a smile on his face that maybe now things were going to be different. But no, he woke up to word that said, by this time tomorrow, if you're not dead, I hope my gods kill me. And maybe you've had experiences where you're just done. And I imagine, and the Bible confirms it, that Elijah was done. And so with word from the crazy queen, he began to run. I imagine that when he got word of what God wanted him to do, he wasn't very happy. You want me to speak to who? To what people? You want me to tell them what? You know, because these weren't just any old people that he needed to tell about what God was going to do. Not to mention that the message was pretty aggressive. You know, 40 days and I'm going to destroy all of you, just so you know. That's not really a message you lead with when you're trying to impact people. But I imagine that he, he bucked with God and said, why do I have to go to this city? Why do I have to go to these people? You know, those people, people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, they weren't very good people. And you could say, well, Pastor Rob, not a lot of people were good back then. They were bad people, right? But I imagine that, that when he talked with God about the Assyrians, he said, why do I have to go to them? Those people that, that maybe, just using my imagination, had probably killed or hurt people that maybe he even knew personally. And if not personally, people that were part of his country, his family, his people. And they had not just killed them, you see... We don't have to use our imagination for this part. The Assyrians were ruthless. Now, Jonah didn't have to Google what they were, but you could for your Sabbath afternoon activity today. And you would find Jonah's concerns very relevant. You see, the Assyrians would kill people. And that's what people did back then. They killed other people that they did not like. But they wouldn't just kill them. They would fillet them. And we're not talking about the fish that you may or may not eat if you're vegetarian or not. Or maybe some of you consider that vegetarian, you know, either way. There's chances that Jonah knew or had very close relationships with people who were ruthlessly murdered by the Assyrians. I'm talking impaled by spears and then left to just die out. Not to mention that as he would have been walking through that city, there would have been walls with the story of the people he knew that had been murdered. You want me to go to who? 
You want me to tell who? That you're going to do what? I don't want to go anywhere near these people. I imagine that's how we felt. And I imagine that we don't give Jonah his just dues as to why he decided to make his next step. We act like he's playing cat and mouse or he didn't really want to follow God. Maybe he didn't want to talk to the people who had wreaked havoc on his land and his people and the people that he loved for years. Maybe he didn't want to see pictures of stories he knew all too well. And so he ran. I imagine that as he ran after sleeping and being awakened and fed, as he ran for 40 days, which is a super good Bible number, 40 days into the wilderness, I imagined he just wondered what would happen next. He was done. He wanted nothing to do with all that was happening within the nation anymore. This crazy queen and her whatever type of husband she had, Jezebel and Ahab, he wants nothing to do with them. But he's running. And here's an important part that I'll pause here, and it's not part of the sermon at all, but I used to not stop at these points, but it's important to mention where he runs to. We all can run. We probably all have ran. But where have we ran to? Elijah's done. But he's clearly not done with God because he runs to the one place where God has continually shown up throughout previous centuries for his people. The mountain of God, Mount Sinai, into the wilderness where God had shown up so many times before. If you're going to run, you might as well run to where God has shown up. And so he ran. And he ran and he ran and he ran. Forty days journey and finally finds himself in a cave. And God begins to speak to him. And I imagine for him, as the waves tossed and the boat turned and these sailors were sure that they were going to die, Jonah said, just get it over with, toss me over. And this might be a window into how Jonah thought about God and maybe how Jonah thought about his relationship with God. But he ends up being ultimately thrown over. And all of you at any age range, for the most part, know this story. Jonah is sinking down in the water and I imagine if he, I wondered if he, if he debated, was it worth it? Should I have done this? Maybe I should have just gone and done what God asked me to do. Maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe it's over. I imagine if you're sinking in, a, in an ocean, you probably feel like it's over. Jonah does not appear to be a very great swimmer. And I imagine that things got even more crazy as a fish came along and ate him. And this is one of the wildest stories in the Bible. Those of us that are church kind of grow up hearing it, so we're like, oh yeah, he got ate by a big fish. That happens. That does not happen. Just to throw that out there. Sorry, I'm telling a story, but for real though. We kind of grow up and we're like, oh yeah, Jonah got ate by a big fish, you know? Okay, if you walk around just random places and people don't know the Bible, they'd be like, really? It sounds like a shark attack. Jonah ends up inside the belly of a whale and he ends up having a moment with God. And I think that this moment is often missed when we tell the story of Jonah. We tell the story of Jonah as one of don't run from God. He's always watching and he'll get you with a big fish, which is a little bit creepy, if I'm going to be honest. A little bit creepy and maybe not the point. But Jonah in the belly of that whale is talking with God about what has happened. He's pouring his heart out and he ends with the statement, 
I'll do what you want me to do. This is the Pastor Rob paraphrase version of the Bible. Not appropriate for anything other than this moment. I'll do what you want me to do. And salvation comes from you. That's how he ends his prayer. Salvation is of the Lord. And I imagine in that moment he believed it. And he believed it deeply. And from that moment he goes, he is extracted from the fish, to use a term. And then he goes in whatever shape he's in. Hopefully he bathed. We don't really know. And he goes to Nineveh to share what God told him to share. God is speaking with Elijah at the opening of the cave. And he just asks him a simple question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? As if to say, you and I both know that this isn't probably where you should be. But you're here, so what are you doing here? And Elijah begins to share. And you know how we are. I don't, maybe I'm the, I might be the only person that's this way. I take lots of things personal. I take everything as a personal attack on my character, right? And maybe you're the same way. But sometimes when things don't go well in our lives, we're a little bit like Elijah. Well, I'm the only one. And this is happening to me. And why is it happening to me? And all of these things, right? We get very focused on what our problems are. And they're very real. I don't want to minimize that. I guess I'm just trying to acknowledge that oftentimes we forget everything that might be happening because something is happening in my world. Well, guess what? You have a God that cares about that. God's talking with Elijah. Okay, you feel like you're the only one. And then God decides to show Elijah a little something. There's a windstorm. But the Bible says, God's not in the windstorm. There's an earthquake. God's not in the earthquake. Oh, there's a fire. God's not in the fire. And then there's a still small voice. And God's in the still small voice. And Elijah has a moment now to confront God and talk with him in a very simple human way. You can argue that bigger would have been better. But Elijah had already experienced that. And it didn't change the fact that when the game changed, he ran because he was done. I've always looked at the story of Elijah and been like, man, dude, you just saw fire rain down from heaven. You did some other unprofit-like things in our, culture, in our time period okay, to the prophets of Baal. And then you, you ran Ahab into his, to his castle. And then this queen, Jezebel, who clearly we should not underestimate her. Clearly, she was something else. And when we get to heaven, maybe we can watch the, the movie DVD. We don't even use DVDs anymore. The, the whatever, the streaming, and see how crazy she really was. Because her word makes him cancel all of that out. This is the guy who walked up to Ahab. Sorry, I'm not telling the story. I'm getting preaching now. He walked up to Ahab and said, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. He didn't even say God. He's so connected with God. He's like, it's not raining until I say I would never say that. I'd be like, I don't think it's going to rain until God says it's going to rain. I don't think so. Okay? Right? And you can't even walk up to the President of the United States and say that right now. You couldn't do it. You couldn't get close enough. He walks straight up to Ahab and says, it's not going down until I say it's going down. Bye. And you can never find me again. Because God protected him. But God's like, what are you doing here? And Elijah's like, I'm the only one. I've done all this stuff, and I'm by myself, and I'm the only one. And the Bible doesn't say that God said this, but in my mind, I feel like he did. It's my sanctified imagination. I bet he was a little bit like, man, you don't know me. I got hundreds of other people who are following me right now. This is what he does say. 
They haven't bended the knee to Baal, and they're ready to work for me. Sometimes what we think we know about God and what he's actually trying to show us are two different things. But where will we move in that direction or will we not? Going back to our other story, I imagine that after he finished speaking to the city of Nineveh, which was a three-day walk to get from one end to another, he sat back and he, and he wanted to watch what was going to happen. And by the time you get to the last two chapters of Jonah, three and four, Jonah's angry. Because he shared what God was planning to do. And the message is simple. He doesn't, he doesn't, it's not an evangelistic series, at least what the Bible presents. He says, God is going to destroy you in 40 days. Bye. Like, that's the message. Sorry, it's that clear. God's going to destroy you in 40 days. But the Bible says the people of Nineveh, the leadership, said, all right, let's, it's going down. Let's change our ways. Which is only something God can do, right? That's only something God can do. Most people would be just kicked out for saying something like that. Right, well, you're just a crazy person. Didn't you just come out of a fish? Don't you smell like the sea? Right? <laughs> right? But No. They repent. And Jonah is angry. And we can look at it and say, well, isn't that a beautiful story of redemption? Look, these wicked people who are so evil, look at them turning to God. But can you imagine your worst enemy, the person that has done the worst things to you, think about the person that's the worst in your life. Maybe we shouldn't do that in church, right? Think about, not judging was the children's story. Think about the worst person in your life, right? The worst person. And then suddenly them being like, you know what? Jesus loves me, and I've changed. You'd be like, ah, go change somewhere else. And I hope God still messes with you a little bit, because you deserve it, right? And Jonah says that much to God. He says, I knew you were this way. I knew you were loving. I knew you wouldn't do it. You, I knew you wouldn't destroy them. You're too nice. Regardless, he sets up this little booth hoping that it will go down. He hopes it will go down. And I think if he can reflect in that moment, and maybe he got to, maybe we'll find that out later, he would probably feel like he sounded a little bit crazy, right? A little bit crazy. But he sets up this booth, and then the Bible's real specific, and it just shows you how detailed God is, maybe how detailed the Bible the writers are. But this plant, the Bible says God caused this plant to grow up overnight. And then it gives him shade. And Jonah's chilling in the shade, and life is good in the shade, right? And he's hoping the city's going to burn down, but he's pretty sure God's too nice. And then overnight, God causes a worm to eat the whole plant up or kill the plant, and the plant dies. And the next day, God causes an intense east wind and heat straight on top of Jonah, who appears to be bald. Maybe. We don't know. But the heat gets to him. Now, I resonate with that part of Jonah. I am the worst human when I am hot. I am the worst human. I say things I have to apologize for. I am an evil human being when I'm hot and sweaty. Ask anybody who knows me, especially those two in a couple seats back. The hot gets me. I sweat. Now that I don't have any hair, the sweat just rolls down. I'm just unhappy. I don't want to be here. Okay, right? Okay, and I live in Texas. And previously, I lived in the desert in Arizona. So clearly, I'm making unique life choices. But I get Jonah. And I'm not quite where Jonah's at because Jonah's a little extra because he says, I want to die. Unique. I mean, Jonah's a unique guy. But you have to imagine that after he committed to sharing what God told him to share 
And then to not have it followed up with what God said he would do, do you think maybe he felt a little foolish? And now he's sitting out in the sun and he's baking and roasting? Maybe we can resonate with that a little bit, right? Maybe it's not too far off. It's easy to read those verses and be like, man, Jonah's so extra. Why is he asking God to kill him? Oh my goodness, right? He's so emotional. He needs some help. But you know what? If you had spent the last three to four days to a week or however long speaking to a bunch of people that had previously harmed your nation in ways that should not probably be shared, but were shared on pictures, and you were hoping God was going to throw it down just like you said he would, but then he chose to do the nice thing and the loving thing, I'd probably be a little unhappy too. But guess what? I imagine God looking at Jonah and saying, you don't know me. And he almost says that to an effect, the paraphrased version, where he says, hey, Jonah, you care a lot about that plant, man. You really care about that plant. You're so mad about the plant. Did you do anything for that plant? You didn't even plant it. You did nothing for that plant, and you're all angry. Don't you think that I care about that city over there? Where there are 120,000 people, and Jonah, the book of Jonah gives you the number. 120,000 people and many livestock. I'm not sure why. I don't know if that's like a Chick-fil-A, eat more chicken type situation. But God seems to care about the beef. I, I don't know. Okay? He's like, 120,000 souls and livestock. Like God's counting the animals as well. Which is good, right? He cares. And the story of Jonah ends right there. And the story of Jonah might be one of my favorite stories in the Bible as we break this down and teach a little bit now. The story of Jonah might be one of the favorite stories in the Bible because we get to determine the ending. The ending is ambiguous. We don't know what Jonah does. The conversation cuts off. Do we continue? We don't know. Jonah's angry. He's mad at God. He's mad at the plant. He's hot and bothered. And God's like, don't you think I care? Just like you did about the plant, about these people. End. And I think the reason these two stories pair very well together, although you could pick countless stories in the Bible, is that the Bible is filled with people like Elijah, like Jonah, who have had amazing experiences and moments with God. But even later on in their lives, they are then exposed to even a deeper part of God's character. And then they get to decide, am I going to move in that direction? Am I going to move in what God is revealing about himself to me? Or am I not? And that is why the title of the sermon is, You Don't Know Me. And that is why I had you write down, Who do you say that God is? Because you all come from, we all, we all, myself included, we all come from some concept of God. Whether it's church your entire life, whether it's church in the last year, whether it's church in the last week, whether it's reading the Bible, whether it's sitting in a class, whether it's hearing from your neighbors, whether you come from, uh, you know, atheistic background, you all have some concept of God. God as he is to you. And I think one of the things, you know, you know uh, when, when asked to preach here, you know, say something that, that will encourage our, our youth and our young people. And I'm so proud of you for leading out. And so you got, you got some skills. The church is in great hands. Today, tomorrow, and forever. But that whole classic thing when you're older, and I'm a little older now, what, I, what do I wish someone would have told me when I was younger, right? As if I would have listened. Right? But that's how we kind of are, Right? I would encourage you, but this is actually for every age group, because we're all the same. 
We're all the same. Those of you who aren't youths anymore are just a little bit wiser, a little bit more jaded, maybe a little bit more encouraging, maybe a little more patient. And then, of course, you've got the, the youth that are ready to roll. They're doing their thing. You've got the young, young, young people, little kids. And then you've got those who are, who are just chilling. And they've been doing this Jesus thing for a long time. But if there's one thing I know about Jesus, is that our concept with him should be rapidly growing and rapidly evolving. And I actually use that term on purpose. Evolve is not a great term to use in church. But we want it to evolve. To meet the needs of what we are going through on our day to day because those change. And we have to challenge what we think we know about God and what we understand about God. Because I guarantee you, Peter, in our scripture, in Matthew, when he says, you are, you are the Son of God, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. This is middle of Matthew. Peter is going to get called Satan later on, okay? Get behind me, Satan. He's going to reject Jesus, and then he's going to go crazy and baptize 3,000 people in a day. You think Peter had an evolving, growing, working concept of who God is? Who Jesus is 100%. We've got to get the foundations great, for sure. God is love. God tells me to love him and to love other people. And beyond that, we had better keep an open working definition of who God really is to us and to the world around us. Because it changes moment by moment, day by day, and experience by experience. Right? And some have been through it in the most positive ways. They've seen God show up in amazing ways. They've seen God do all these different things. And then for some in this room, you've seen situations where you wanted God to do something and he did the exact opposite. Or maybe he didn't seem to answer how you wanted. And the reality is, where do we go from there? Right? And I can tell you over the last six or seven months, coming from a super, super focused environment where I shared about God and I you know, grew with God and I helped other people do the same, all of those things, it's a different world when you're outside of that. And when something doesn't go your way, do you start to blame God? Or do you hold on a little bit tighter because he's got something in store for you? Does that make sense? And that's easier said than done. But I think the problem is, you and I, we get an idea of God, and we hold on to that, and we don't let it grow. And then we end up in Jonah's situation, where we're like, hey, I thought you were going to do this. And God's like, you don't know me. I'm doing something different. You see Jonah, and, and I just noticed this, I, you know, prepping for the sermon, you know, over the last couple days and, and weeks. And, but just last night I was reviewing. I'm sitting in my bed, and I decided hey, I needed to look at that last uh, third, third and fourth chapter. Jonah says salvation is of the Lord. He knew in his heart what it was all really about. But his heart didn't match his mind and his feelings yet. And we don't know. Maybe Jonah chapter 5, which we'll see in heaven, is all about this beautiful reconciliation moment that him and God had. But the beauty of it is you get to decide. Who do you say that Jesus is? And will you commit to your life growing that concept of who God is in every moment and every situation? Because oftentimes we're, we're, and I'm going to go just a little bit further here. Oftentimes we want God to be this infinite, 
Pez dispenser. You know the Pez dispenser candies? The little animated character on top, you pop the head back and candy pops out. And we want God to do that for us. For me, and then we want him to drop some justice on somebody else. Give me the candy. My neighbor, you can drop some havoc on them, get them ready to meet you. Right? Or you want him to be like a teddy bear or something like that where we just run to him and hug him and it's all going to be okay. And the reality is that he's neither. And he's both. And he's all of those things. And if we connect with him, if we go in relationship with him, we will know him at a deeper level so that maybe, you know, and we look at verses, uh, uh, ask and you shall receive, but what happens when you don't? What happens when you don't? If we don't have a working, growing concept of, I am in a love relationship with God, I am deeply trying to understand who he is, then we will ask and not receive, and then we will blame. And we'll say, well, maybe you don't care like you said you did. Right? We will knock and the door doesn't open and we will say, well, why did you lock that door? Why did you have me knock in the first place? We will seek and we won't find. Right? However, if we work in our relationship with Jesus, if we meet with him every day, if we get to know him for the sheer sake, and this is huge, folks, and this has been the, 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 the hardest part of my life, if I'll just get to know him, to know him, then maybe... I'll ask and I will receive because I'm on the same page. Because it doesn't say ask and maybe receive. The Bible's pretty clear. Jesus didn't say maybe receive. He said ask and you shall receive. But you all know that you have asked for something from God, whether it's the Xbox or the PS5 or, you know, graduate from whatever. You know, we've all asked and there's been moments where we didn't feel like we got what we asked for. But maybe it's not about the asking. It's about knowing the person we're asking to. Knowing the person that we're asking from. I'll share one more illustration, and my wife knows that I'm going to share this, so I'm in good hands. Okay, it's important to let, let, let you know what you're going to share. Um, marriage has been a fantastic, wonderful thing. We've been married almost two years now in March. Um, and you, you, you tend to know the person you marry, right? Hopefully. Maybe not. You've got in a quiet there, church. Different sermon. Not a marriage and family counselor. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can tell you what I don't know. Um, anyways, you... you you should know the person you marry decently, right? You kind of feel like you got a good concept. And then, of course, you start living together, and you learn more things, right? Well, just like, just like maybe a month ago or so, um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't buy clothes for myself. My wife can attest to this. And so, you know, at Christmas and birthdays, the family buys clothes for me. My wife will come home from the mall and be like, hey, I got you a shirt because you're wearing the shame shirt all the time, okay? Because you're a vagrant, and we don't know what's wrong with you, Okay. Put some clothes on, dude. Okay? Right? So I do laundry on a very regular basis. And I, I like to exercise sometimes. And, uh, and so I do those things. And so I'm doing laundry like every two days. Don't judge me. Okay? There was a murmur amongst the people like, help this guy out. Okay? So anyways, I do laundry every two or three days. And so uh, a, a month or two ago, I asked my wife, hey, is it, is it cool if I do a load of laundry? Because if I'm not careful, I only think about myself. Surprise, surprise. Okay? And then my son doesn't have any chonies to go to school. Okay? Chonies is underwear, for those of you, for our non-Latin-speaking friends. Okay? He doesn't have any undershirts. Or he doesn't have a uniform polo. Or he doesn't have any pants. And he wakes up the next day and it's like, Dad, what? well, I have clothes. <laughs> okay? Right? And so I asked her, is it okay if I do some laundry? Right? And she's like, yes, of course. And then she said... And she said, just make sure you take your stuff out of the dryer. And I was like, oh, sometimes I go to bed and my stuff's in the dryer. Who cares? And I'm thinking, 
It's not difficult to move stuff from the dryer somewhere else. Right? And is it difficult? No. But does it make life easier when she's doing laundry to not have to unload my nasty clothes from the dryer, my clean clothes from the dryer, so that they can somehow be folded, right? Because if I'm not careful, I'll leave them in there one night, two nights, three nights, and then I'm out of underwear, I'll grab from the dryer, right? Because I live by myself for how long, right? Some of you ladies are in here like this guy. You're praying over my wife right now, right? For patience and love, right? You should, okay? And she's like, just make sure you take your stuff out of the dryer. And I was like, and I didn't know that for the last year and a half, I have not done that. Right? And so in a very simple, humorous way, I learned something new about my wife. Right? And I learned a way to love and serve her a little bit better. Right? By simply taking my clothes out. Now, that's a silly example. Right? That's not, you know, that's like child's play in marriage stuff. You you deal with a whole lot more. Right? But in a very simple way, she said, hey, if you could just take it out of the dryer, that would be super helpful. Right? And I'm like, oh, for a year and a half, I haven't done that. I'm very sorry. Right? And you've been just quietly taking my stuff out of the dryer being like this dude. But isn't it the same way with Jesus? In maybe a simple way and in a deeper way. That we can sit there and that we can learn about him. And when we learn something new, do we run with it? And do we say, man, Jesus, I just want to know you so much more. Teach me more. Show me more. He says, all right, because you don't really know me. You don't know me yet. And I think that is the fascinating part of the journey of the relationship with Jesus. And for, for the youth, if I could tell you one thing, everything that I thought about God back in the day, man, he's changed so much of that. Sure, the basics are still super true. God loves me. Jesus died to save me. He forgives me. He's merciful and gracious. There's there's the foundation pieces for sure. But what God wants to do for Rob Parrish's life, what God wants to do for each of yours, for Garland Community Church, what he wants to do is so far beyond what we're usually thinking. So far beyond. And he's saying, man, there's so much more. And I'm going to use one more example, and then I promise I'm done. It's 1245. We should eat, okay? And this is one of my favorite stories of the Bible, and I've been finding myself, it's coming up in every, every single time I preach. And if you were a student in NDA, then you heard it already. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. At the very end of the book of John, the, the dudes are fishing because they're depressed. They don't know what else to do. Jesus is in and out. He's been crucified, raised from the dead. He's got plans for them, but they don't know what he's doing, so they're fishing. They've got to make money, right? And they're fishing with no clothes on, too, which is a whole other non-biblical thing that we need to focus on, right? But they're fishing. They see a guy at the shore, shore, and he says, hey, have you caught anything? Little children. Sometimes he calls them children, too. Little children, did you catch anything? No, I haven't caught anything. He's like, hey, throw it over there. And I don't know why they didn't catch on just yet. It took them a second to catch on, because he's told them to throw over there before, right? This is not the first time he did that. Throw over there. And they throw over there, and all of a sudden, all these fish are there. And Peter, being Peter, is like, I know this guy. Jumps in the water. I'm not sure why I didn't put on clothes first. You know, we can, we can analyze those things. But he jumps in the water, and Jesus is at shore. And they have a huge catch of fish. I think 152 large fish, the Bible says. But the beauty of Jesus is that he's already got fish cooking. He's already got food cooking. He's already got an experience for Peter cooking. And church family, for you, he's already got something cooking. But guess what? Good food, cooking, doesn't make a bit of difference if you don't ever eat it. 
If you don't ever sit down and partake of what God has for you, it does you no good. No good. My, my grandmother-in-law, yes, mommy, makes the best food known to humanity. And if God doesn't let her cook in heaven, then I might not want to be apart for real, for real. Because that, that mess is for real. It's, I've never had a bad meal there. But if I looked at the food that she made and said, you know what, I don't really know. I kind of like sandwiches, because I'm Caucasian. I kind of like sandwiches. I really like sandwiches. Is that too soon? Sorry, church. I like sandwiches. Would it do me any good to know that her food rivals any Yucatan food I've ever had in the Yucatan? No. I could tell you it looks good. I could tell you it smells good. But it's a lot different when I can tell you that I've tasted and seen that it is good. The Bible talks about that, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And church family, we're done. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Every single day, no matter what the meal, whether it looks like Honey Nut Cheerios or whether it looks like a seven-chorus meal at the most expensive restaurant you can find, whether it seems like it's rotten or not, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I imagine that if you and I will continue to do that at every stage of our life, man, what God will do and the places that he will take us and the things that he will do and the lives that will be impacted because we rolled with it and we said, maybe I don't know God exactly like I think I do. I'm going to keep getting to know him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you that we could speak about you to each other, that we could open up your word and that lives have been led that teach us so many things. Lord, we know that you are love. We know that you are good. We know that you are with us. But Lord, we want to experience so much more of that. And so may we believe, may we believe that we don't know you completely yet so that we will continue to chase and pursue to know you even better. And the beauty is that we know that you will be known. And Lord, may we taste and see that you are good today, tomorrow, and every day after. In your name we pray, amen.